This afternoon, we are continuing on our study of uh, prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer. To guide us in this, we're going to be using Lord's Day 46 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 46, you can find that on page 560 of the Book of Praise. So Lord's Day 46, why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us, at the very beginning of our prayer, that childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ, and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner, and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. Let's follow the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 45, we began our study on prayer and specifically the Lord's Prayer. And in Lord's Day 45, we learned that there are three things that belong to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him. And the first thing uh, we confess there is this. We must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed Himself in His Word. And that is a very first thing that Christ teaches us uh, in the Lord's Prayer, how to, from the heart, call upon the one true God only. Here he teaches us that, and what he teaches is, is wonderful. He teaches us to pray like this, our Father in heaven. It's only four words, but they are packed with meaning they are incredibly rich, and they're, they're beautiful. They're full of gospel significance, uh, wonderful words to, to dwell upon and to understand. This is the glorious privilege of God's children. That we can call upon God as our Father in heaven. And so as I preach to you God's word this afternoon, I'll do so under the following theme. Christ teaches us to call on God as our Heavenly Father and we're going to see that Christ teaches us this because of three main things. First of all, he knows the struggles we can have in prayer. Uh, second of all, he's assuring us of who God is for believers. And finally, he wants us to pray in faith. So uh, Christ teaches us to call on God as our Heavenly Father. And he does this, first of all, because he knows the struggles we can have in prayer. That's the first thing. Now, on the surface of things, when you look at it, uh, prayer seems rather easy. Prayer is simply a talking to God. You don't even need to speak any words out loud. You can simply say the words in your heart, and God hears you. And prayer can also be uh, simple words. Take the Lord's Prayer, for example. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. That's not complicated at all. Even a child can do it. So on the surface of things, prayer is easy. 
Yet prayer at other times, at, at the same time, and we, perhaps we know that all too well, perhaps prayer can be difficult, and it is difficult at times. Lord's Day 45 taught us that in prayer we call upon the one true God from the heart. And this means that prayer is faith in action. Faith in action. And it expresses trust and relationship with the Lord. And because of this, we can battle with all kinds of, of things as we come to God in prayer. Our faith might be weak. Our hearts are far from perfect. The troubles of life can make praying to God a challenge. And the Lord Jesus knew that we can struggle in prayer. He, he knows that now, even now. That's one reason why he gave us the parable of the persistent widow. Luke introduces the parable by saying, Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Christ knows that we are weak. He knows that we can lose heart when it comes to prayer. Just give up. What are some ways we might lose heart? Well, it could be something like this. You know, God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. How can I, how can I just keep praying to him when I don't seem to get an answer? That could be one thing. Another thing might be, well, God has brought this great suffering and trial into my life. How can I trust him enough to pray to him when he allows something like this to happen to me? That could be a struggle. Uh, if God hears my prayers, you know, if God does hear my prayers, you know, why did this happen? Why did this thing happen after I prayed? It seemed to be the opposite of what I prayed for. I don't know if you've ever had that. You pray for something and then it seems like the Lord answers in the exact opposite way that you had hoped. Or we might struggle like this. If God hears my prayers, why does it seem to take so long to get an answer? Now think of the problem the widow had in Christ's parable. She was coming to this unjust judge with her problems. She had a good and a just and a righteous request. The judge even acknowledged that her cause was just. Now, there seems absolutely no good reason why this judge should not help her immediately, but he didn't. He kept putting her off. It would be so easy for her to lose heart and just give up. Why spend your energy on this? This guy is not going to listen to me anyways. Well, we might be tempted to give up in prayer in the same way. Praying from the heart takes effort. And if we face these struggles, it's so much easier to just put off prayer, do some mindless activity. Why not save your energy? And that's the struggle described by Christ in this parable of the persistent widow. But there are other struggles too, questions such as, well, am I worthy enough to pray? Will God hear me? Are, are God's answers to my prayers really good? Can I really be uh, God's child? Maybe something like that. And when those questions are uh, troubling our hearts, then praying from the heart can, yeah, can be difficult. You know, that's similar, actually, to the struggle described by Asaph 
in Psalm 77. Now, at the beginning of the psalm, he expresses confidence that God will indeed hear. But he's probably only expressing that perspective gained, uh, the perspective he gained towards the end of the psalm. However, before that time where he came to this time of confidence that God would hear his prayer, uh, he went through a deep struggle, as we can see. He says in verses 3 and 4, When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Now, here is a person who is struggling when it comes to prayer. And what, what an image he uses as well. You, you hold my eyelids open. Here he is lying in bed at night, but for some reason, sleep will not come. I don't know if you've ever had that. It's an incredibly frustrating experience. You're so exhausted, but you can't sleep. And it's just an awful experience. Lying awake, staring at the ceiling, well, that makes for a long night. Especially when you're wrestling with anxious thoughts or attacked or with doubts about God and his love for you. Well, this is what Asaph had. He's struggling here. It was one of the dark nights of the soul for him. It appeared that all of God's love and compassion and faithfulness were shut up in heaven, uh, locked away for good, or else that they had just evaporated into thin air. And is prayer a struggle at that time? Yes, it is, for sure. When you're feeling and experiencing doubts like that, a prayer becomes a battle of faith. It's easy to give up. And God knows that we face this at times. Remember, the Holy Spirit was the one who inspired Asaph to write this psalm, write these words down. He did so for our benefit. Just as Christ told his parable to give us direction when we face struggles in prayer, so the Holy Spirit gave us this psalm to give us help in our time of need. Again, God knows we can struggle. That's why it's important to study what Jesus teaches us in the opening of the Lord's Prayer. He reminds us and assures us of who God is for believers. The struggles we have in prayer often come back to this point. Is God my Father who is in heaven? Understanding and believing this identity about God helps us through the battles. And that's what we're going to focus on next in the second point. Now, when someone in life that you trusted let you down in a big way, it can lead to, to questions. You might wonder, you know, can I really, do I really know this person? I thought I knew this person. I trusted him or her, but now I'm not sure. They let me down in such a big way. You know what? We might have a similar struggle at times when it comes to the Lord. Now, to be sure, God never lets someone down like humans let someone down. He never sins against anyone. He is never faithless. But God sure can bring us through unexpected suffering. Or he might seem to open a door, and then as we're about to walk through that door, suddenly 
you know, it closes on us, we're left wondering, why did God do that in my life? Or when you pray to God and he doesn't seem to answer, you might question God's identity. Is he my father in heaven? And think of this in line with the parable of the persistent widow. This widow had a righteous cause. The judge should have listened to her, but kept ignoring her. And when that happens, the widow got a sense of the judge's identity. She surely thought, this man is unrighteous. He doesn't care about me or any other helpless person. He's only selfish. That's why he doesn't answer my prayers. Now, if it appears to us that God is not answering our prayers, the danger we face is this. Our hearts might begin to start thinking the same thoughts about God. And this can lead a person to be disappointed in the Lord or even become upset with him or maybe just question his goodness. Asaph describes uh, this crisis, this kind of crisis about God that a believer can go through. There he lay in bed, staring at the ceiling. His troubled heart gave him no rest. And then he began to ask, as you can see in the psalm, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Well, these are the kinds of things he started to think about the Lord. Now, who was God to him? Did he know him? Again, to help us in this, Christ teaches us, he, he emphasizes here, to call upon God as our Father in heaven. This is who God is. This is the identity of God that the Lord Jesus wants us to have firmly in our minds, in our prayers. As we confess in Lord's Day 46, God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. So you should ask yourself, well, how do I view God? Is he a merely a judge in your mind, without compassion? Do you know him? Do you trust him to be your father in Jesus Christ, your father? Now, how does belief that God is our father grow in our hearts? Well, it's by hearing the gospel. Christ came to this earth. Hebrews 2 says, he was made like his brother's. In every respect. He was made like us. But the wonderful thing is, he was without sin. And because he lived that perfect life, he could die on the cross, pay for our sins completely, and redeem us, purchase us with his blood. And notice how Hebrews 2 describes it. Jesus was made like his brothers. There are more who are counted sons of God than just Christ. See, the Son of God was made man so that the children of men might become sons of God. It's by believing in Christ through faith in him that you are joined to the Son of God. 
Join to him. That makes Christ your brother. And in Christ we belong to the household of God. And so God is our Father in heaven. So right at the beginning of our prayer, Christ is assuring us of the gospel of grace. God is not just our Father, though, but our Father in heaven. As we confess in question and answer 121, why is there added in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. Right? Here is the identity of God that shapes our prayers. He's a loving father. He's also majestic, almighty God. We see some of this identity displayed in Luke 18. Jesus told this parable to assure us of the identity of the one we are praying to. And God is not that unjust judge that the widow kept going to. Right? Christ set up the parable in such a way to create a contrast between the judge and between God and our Father. The judge was anti-God and anti-people. He only cared about himself. He didn't have time for this widow who had nothing to offer him. And the Lord Jesus is saying, that is not the person you are praying to. That's not who God is. Remember that when you pray. Remember that. Believe that. We also see some of this identity in Psalm 77. Asaph wondered if God's steadfast love had stopped. And if that all his promises had just failed. But to shake him out of this, he says to himself, no, he talks to himself, no, I'm going to appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm not going to let this, uh, these doubts uh, shape my uh, belief about who God is. Instead, I'm going to remember the deeds of the Lord that he has done. I'm going to remember the wonders he has performed in the past. And so he reminds himself from God's word, God is holy. And God is great. And he works wonders. And he has done that in history for his people. And what are some of those wonders? Well, he, these are some of the things he reminds himself of. God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt. He saved them by his love. And his power was on display as God led Israel through the middle of the Red Sea. He led his people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so Asaph is reminding himself as he's struggling with doubts about the identity of God as he prays. He reminds himself, no, this is who God is for his people. And God has not changed and he will not change. He will be the same. And so despite my trouble, I'm going to persevere in faith that this is who God is for his people. And understanding and believing this changed Asaph's perspective. He held on to this. He says, I'm going to hold on to this. And this is what allowed Asaph to pray to God in faith. And this identity of God is what we need to pray to God in faith as well. 
And that's why Christ taught us to address God as our Father in heaven. He wants to assure us that this is who God is for believers. And so on that basis, we come before him in prayer, also so that we might pray to him in faith. That brings us to the last point. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? Well, God has become our Father through Christ, as we confess, and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith, and our fathers would refuse us earthly things. And He is our Father in heaven, so we also expect from His almighty power all things we need for body and soul. Now look now at the application Christ gives in the parable of the persistent widow. To introduce the parable, the Spirit writes through Luke, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You see, this widow, she had no leverage with this judge whatsoever. She had little money, so she couldn't bribe him. She had no influence in society, so she couldn't put any pressure on him. But there was one thing she did have. Persistence. She kept coming to this judge and kept crying out, give me justice against my adversary. Finally, the judge gave her justice, the justice she asked for. Of course, he only wanted to put away this annoyance in his life, but he still gave it. Christ makes then a comparison. If this is how this unjust judge acts, won't God give justice to his chosen ones? God is the one who's chosen us, his believers. He set his love on us from the beginning. Christ wants us to pray from that perspective. God hears our prayers. Not because we have something to offer him. We're like that widow had nothing to offer the judge. We can't bribe God. But he hears because he is good. He hears because he's loving and faithful and he hears because we are his children. He does what is right for his children. Now, there are some things to keep in mind here. Uh, the Lord Jesus is not denying what he taught about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he said there. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. That's not what Christ is teaching us with this parable of the persistent widow. But there's a difference between being persistent in prayer and babbling like a pagan, like Jesus says. Christ does want us to persevere. There's also one more caution. Prayer is not about manipulating the Lord. You know, we're not trying to force his hand to give us everything we want in life. But Christ is indeed teaching us to pray in faith. And praying in faith means praying according to God's promises. What God has promised to give, we can expect from him that he will do it. We need never doubt that he will do what he has promised. And in this parable, Christ focuses on the matter of justice specifically. He says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. 
God is the just judge. Praying for justice is praying uh, for God to act according to his very nature, which he will do. And that's why we can be confident that God will answer our prayers when we pray according to his very nature. Maybe he doesn't act in just the the way we thought was best, but God is always at work even when we can't see it. Then there's Psalm 77. You know what? Asaph went through that time of deep struggle and doubt. Then again, he began reflecting on some of God's mighty works in the past. And as he did that, as he reflected on some of those events where God helped his people in the past, what did he, what, did he, what could he think about? Well, think about God redeeming his people, Israel, from Egypt. That's one thing that Asaph reminds himself of. Think of Israel and Egypt. There they were, slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And every day, they groaned under their slavery and they cried out. And it probably seemed to them that God was not hearing their cries. Every day, they were slaves. Every day, they tasted the whip. Every day they groaned. Why would it take him so long to come to their help? If he was listening, look at their suffering. What do the scriptures say? Exodus 2 tells us that their cries came up before God. It says God heard their groaning. Even when they couldn't see that he heard. God remembered his covenant even when they couldn't see that he was remembering. God saw his people Israel and it says God knew. He saw their suffering. And Asaph could reflect on that and say, well, Israel and Egypt, they might have also thought that God's love and compassion were locked away in heaven, that God was ignoring them. But we don't. But that wasn't the case. God answered their prayers. He did it in his good timing. Then Asaph reflects on another event, the crossing of the Red Sea. What could he learn from that event? Well, God led his people to a point where it seemed like they had no hope. There they were, trapped in the wilderness. They were trapped against the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army, Pharaoh and all his army, was coming at them. How were they going to escape? Israel thought they were goners. It looked like God had led them out of Egypt only to have them killed. Sure, great doubts arose in their hearts. But that was not God's plan, that they would just be killed. No, God saved them at just the right time. And so reflecting on those events led Asaph to pray in faith, to trust. And that's why the confidence displayed at the beginning of this psalm is probably the perspective he gained after his reflection. He says there, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. 
When you reflected on those events, okay, I'm going through this trial myself, but I will keep praying knowing that God hears in Jesus Christ. Christ told his parable to encourage us in this. But he also ends with a challenge. He says, I tell you, God will give justice to his elect speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, that does not mean that Christ is predicting that there will be no believers when he comes back. However, there may be trying times ahead for God's people, for the church. They might face great injustice in this world. They might start to wonder, under a load of things like persecution, if they are being heard by God. They might be tempted to lose heart and to give up praying, crying out. Will they keep praying, trusting that God is listening? Beloved, persevere in faith. Persevere in prayer. No matter what, God is our Father in heaven, and he hears the cries of his children. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing Psalm 77, stanzas 3 and 5.